Hey, this is Nathan James from Inglorious, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here. Got my can of Trooper cracked open, and I am armed and ready to bring you yet another week of Focus on Metal. Up front there in the intro, you had Nathan James from Inglorious, and uh, if you like that band, I'll let you know they have yet another new album out, just came out recently, and they are out on tour so uh, be sure to check out all their social media, find out if they're going to be coming to a town near you. And uh, if you haven't checked out last week's episode, definitely want to go do that. Great talk that Richie had with Jamie St. James all about the uh, what we are terming the lost tapes. So 30-year-old tapes that he and Tommy Thayer put together after they had been dropped from Geffen. It would have been the continuation of Black and Blue. So five-song EP, and we talk about that with Jamie as well as going into some black and blue history. So again, if you haven't heard that one, you can uh, go up to focusonmetalpod.com, check it out there. Obviously, it's on Amazon Music and over on iTunes. So that is what happened last week, but I know you're here mostly to discover what is going on this week. And this week, we are talking with Mikey V from Chicago's own Chains Over Razors. So back in April, these guys put out their sophomore effort, and we get into why their debut comes out in 2016 and their sophomore effort comes out in 2022. And yes, our friend COVID does have things to do with that, but Richie goes into all of that with Mikey. But the important thing is that the new album is out. It is a, what you call a self-titled album. It's called Chains Over Razors. Definitely uh, a little bit more of a minimal cover as opposed to their debut album, which had some kick-ass album art. Either way, both of them have the involvement of the amazing Carmine Apice in the albums. And Richie will be digging into uh, you know what Carmine brought to the show with this one as well. These guys also have a new singer on board for this album and a rather serendipitous story of how he actually ended up with Chains Over Razors. And again, all of that and more is in this week's talk with Mikey V. And if you want to find out more about the band, one place you can go is decoentertainment.com. That's D-E-K-O entertainment.com slash chains dash over dash razors. And there you get a little brief bio. You get all their other social links off of there. You get some demo stuff to listen to and also... Very important from me, the physical media whore, is you can get either your own copy of the Chains Over Razors CD or they even have the Chains Over Razors CD bundle with a t-shirt and the uh, CD and all that good stuff. And that one there has their uh, their John Hancocks on the CD. And one thing that's played up about this band a lot is the, their, I don't know, unique sound 
And one thing is that we really don't have a dedicated bass player in the band. Again, that's in the interview as well as how they handle all that. But it's interesting, you know, when you first listen to this band, at least when I did, you get definitely an, a like Alice in Chains modern version vibe. But then you also get some Seven Dust in there as well. And as you listen, you kind of hear other bands creeping in there. And it's this really cool amalgamation and it's definitely not something that comes across as, oh, we're going to pick from all these different flavors and shove them down the pipe and see what comes out. This does really sound like a natural thing where they pulled a lot of stuff and then they have their own vision. And when you've got two brothers in the band between Mikey and Andy, that's also another thing that brings out some unique chemistry. And I will point you to Pantera as an example of that. And so I think there's a lot of parallels between Chains Over Razors and Pantera as well with that guitarist drummer brother relationship and I think it comes out of this band it's you know it's not Pantera and then again what is but it's still great stuff I urge you to check that out like I said go up to decoentertainment.com slash change dash over dash razors and check them out but don't do that right now what I want you to do right now is kick back relax and hear the talk between my buddy Richie and Mikey V of Chicago's own Chains Over Razors. Oh yeah, one more thing that bears mentioning, and I just got to say it right up front, because otherwise five minutes into this, you'll be going, what the fuck, is birds. So I don't know if it's where Richie was or where Mikey was. I'm pretty sure it's probably where Mikey was. There's birds the whole time in the background, like, insane so uh yeah you're gonna have to just try to figure out how to tune that out and i tried to get rid of as much of it as possible but yeah it's like you're in an episode of uh of the birds mikey yeah hi uh, is it mikey or mickey how do they, how do they what do they call you <laughs> they call me mikey mikey if you're in ireland we call you mickey <laughs> but we're not in ireland i that's okay by me <laughs> okay. So long I can, uh, you know, crack a good old beer with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where are you? Where are you based? Uh, Chicago, Illinois. Okay. I was in Chicago in mm, 99. Loved it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how, was, old uh, you, how old are you. Uh, 41. You're 40, right. I'm 50. So you would have been, been around when I was there. Yeah, uh, the music scene was really happening uh, beginning right around that time here in Chicago. Yeah. If someone was to ask you to name the most popular metal bands from Chicago, what, who would you start with? Uh, Disturbed. Disturbed? Right away. Yeah, they've been killing it for 20 years, and uh, it's still going strong. Yeah, They're yeah. probably one that, I mean, if you're talking like heavy metal, um, definitely them coming out of... Uh, Chicago for sure. I mean, there's so many. I mean, Smashing Pumpkins came out of here too in the '90s. Yeah, you know, but uh, are semi-retired. Weren't the band Trouble? Aren't they from Chicago? Which band? Trouble. Trouble. Uh, also, and then Rockford, Illinois was Cheap Trick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it was quite a bit. Yeah. So, how many times have you seen Disturbed Life? I want to say about three times I've seen them live. I've seen them from the very beginning, the midpoint, and right before the pandemic hit. 
Okay. So it's cool to see him, you know, start at like the Metro in Chicago and then seeing him at the House of Blues and then playing uh, Allstate Arena, which in the 90s, it was called uh, Rosemont Horizon. Okay. Did you think they'd become an arena band when you first saw them? Oh, for sure. I mean, they were just on fire. You knew that um, they were just going to keep hitting it strong, and then they came out with the second album, which had their single Believe, which I can't remember how many weeks it was number one, but from there, it just they just took off like a rocket ship. <laughs> yeah. You ever met any yeah. of them? I'm, what, I'm sorry? Have you uh, ever? Yes. Uh, I, I met David Draymond briefly a couple of times, uh, Dan Donegan, and then uh, the newest bass player who came in, I want to say around this 10,000 Fists album, uh, John Moyer, and oh. uh, House of Blues. Okay. Got to hang out with him. Okay. So, was Disturbed the Metal show then that you saw when you were young that changed your life, or was there another band? It was Metallica for me. Uh, I saw them in 98 at Rosemont Horizon at that time. Uh, they did three shows back to back, and uh, it was the loudest concert I've ever been to. <laughs> my, my ears rang for five days. I mean, you could have went to the washroom, and it was like the band was playing in there. You couldn't escape how okay. loud it was. Um, they had a cool center stage it was like the round as they called it and speakers lined up all the way around it so you, you were just getting your head torn off okay what's the first yeah. metal show you ever saw uh that would that would have been my very first yeah. wow yeah i mean outside of like my guitar teacher playing theaters and stuff like that um so that was more rock uh oriented but uh as far as heavy metal I mean, that was my first, like, major, big arena concert that set me uh, in the whirlpool, as they call it. <laughs> okay, okay. So how big of Pantera fan were you? Uh, I was a big Pantera fan, but I never got a chance to ever see them live. Oh, no. Which was unfortunate, yeah. And uh, kicking myself that I never uh, never got to see them. I mean, I, I watched a lot of live videos from them, but... Never got to experience it, uh, you know, like how I experienced Metallica. Yeah. Do you want to hear my Pantera story when I saw him? I would love to hear it. Okay. <laughs> 1992. Um, they were out with Megadeth, who, were, who just released Countdown to Extinction. And I'm I'm living in Dublin at the time, and Pantera had just released A Vulgar Display of Power. Ah, oh, great album. Yeah, and they they were they were supporting Megadeth, and they came out and they played a forty minute show, and they blew Megadeth away. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of my lasting memories of that was a fan got up on the stage, and the security ran out to take him <laughs> off the stage, and Phil put his hand out and said, "No, no, no, he's okay." So this is like three or four songs in. So he sat the guy down on the drum riser next to Vinny and said, right, wow. you sit down there now for the rest of the show, bang your head and have, enjoy yourself. So the wow. guy had 20 minutes on stage with Pantera. And, oh, my God, that's yeah, awesome. And at the end of the show, the fan went up and got the mic and said, let's hear it for Pantera. And, of course, because Phil had done that, Megadeth had no chance. They were, they were they were absolutely incredible live. They were, they were not only one of the best support bands I've seen live, 
They were one of the yeah. best bands I've seen live. Yeah, that's a lot of my friends have told me that. I saw them in the beginning and then as the later years went. And I mean, my experience was only from watching documentaries. And I remember Sebastian Bach saying Pantera would open up for him. And it was just all hell breaking loose. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, they're lethal. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, which is why they became such a quick headlining act. Mm. So when COVID hit Chicago, how, did that affect a lot of the venues reopening, or do you think a lot of the venues have, have more or less lasted? It destroyed a lot of venues. Okay. Um, I mean, there used to be, I mean, if you want to go back 20 years ago, um, you could walk down the street, pop in and out at any venue, and it was always a packed house, and you met a lot of bands that you shared shows with, and you built that network and then now I mean over the years venues slowly closed but there was still plenty to play and then when COVID hit you know I mean the, and the entire entertainment industry was the first to close and it's still the last one to open up and didn't get any help whatsoever which was sad uh, to see happen and I you know I would always read the news and I would hear about another venue closing you know, some new ones are opening it up, but they're out of the city. Um, so you'll have to travel out a little bit to these venues. And uh, so it's not as many as it used to be. Mm. It's sad. Was COVID one of the main reasons that uh, this is such a gap between the, the first album and this one? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, there were other th- situations we were dealing with at the time. Um, you know, our lead singer uh, at that time had to leave for personal reasons so we had a lot of regrouping to do and look for another singer and thankfully we came across uh, a singer who is now the singer on this album and we did do some shows playing the old material but we knew we had to go back in and uh, write a new album and it's just right when we started COVID hit (laughs) and absolutely uh, held us up for about eight months uh, and, you know, studios were considered non-essential at the time. And, uh, I mean, you, you kind of have to sneak your way in or figure out how to, <laughs> to write. <laughs> so we did a you, lot you of had, sneaking you to, around. You had to sneak in. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it sucked, man. I mean, we were on a good groove. I think we were good five, six songs deep. Um, you know, we were writing. We didn't have any material pre-written for this new album, so we were literally writing and recording at the same time. Okay. So, you know, which takes a lot of time. Um, you know, you don't know what you're going to capture, so there's a lot of improvisation that's been happening that molded where the songs were going. Mm. And then uh, when COVID hit, it was like we were out, I think, from January, uh, March, all the way till September. We couldn't even step foot, um, which was horrible. So it wasn't really until 2021 we were actually able to, like, get on in. You know, they finally had precautions in place that you could do. And then we just started hammering away. Um, That break, it was kind of nice. You kind of could refresh yourself and, you know, maybe noodle ideas around. But, um, yeah, it definitely held us back (laughs) we were planning by 2021 to be done with the album and that wasn't even the case (laughs) i think with a with a band like yourselves relatively new as well 
you really do need to get product out there in, on, a, on a pretty consistent basis that it yeah. must have crossed your mind that are people going to remember who we are? It's been so long since we had a record. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our first one was released around 2016. I mean, and then to have, you know, four years blow right past you and then COVID, um, I mean, yeah, you have to really be consistent you know, and, and when you're writing heavy metal, you can't just turn and burn songs. You have to be really fresh and new and conscious of what you're writing. I mean, the metal community is very unforgiving. If you're not putting in the quality work into your writing, they're going to call you out on it. And so we really took our time to make sure that you know, one, we were happy with what we were writing, and this moves us. And if we were happy and it's moving us, we know it's going to do that with everybody else. And so far, the reaction has been uh, outstanding. Mm. So you're telling me you're a perfectionist? Yeah, or we just have uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. <laughs> <laughs> or as my uh, my good friend calls it, OCD Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> so so where, did, where did you find William? Uh, so we were in another studio at the time and that was right around when our first singer had to leave and uh he was working on he was uh hired as a uh what would you say a hired gun to just record vocals on uh this uh guy's project and uh we sat down we're just talking music and uh you know i asked him do you know any singers who's interested in joining a band this is what we're looking to do. And uh, he says uh, in the story differently than I do. But for what I remember, he laughed at me and said, nope. <laughs> and then I was like, but I'll do it. And I was like, what? No way. You know, it, it couldn't have landed any right. It, it could be years trying to find somebody that you, one, could hang out and have a good time with, you know, and lots of good laughs. But two, is extremely talented and ready to jump in the fire. Uh, so to speak. So uh, him saying, yeah, it was unbelievable. And we just got into the studio and we just started writing. I'm glad, and, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up there that, you know, he was a good guy to hang with because one of the things I've learned over the years interviewing all these musicians is how important that is when you're in a band that you have to be able to hang with the guy. Like he could have been the best singer in the world for your band, but if he was a dick... Yeah. It was going nowhere. <laughs> let, let me tell you, I, I mean, my brother and I have been through many versions of a band, whether it's a five-piece or a four-piece, different band names. And, you know, you always get the one member in a band where you're just like, man, I cannot be in the room with this guy. Like, he just takes the fun out of it. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and I experienced it all the way from day one being in a band. Uh, to be, you know, in a band with my twin brother, and uh, have William, our new singer, in. and when we get in, we're just such a bunch of goofy bastards. With, you know, so much laughing and the crazy shit that comes out of our mouths. Mm. It's, it's so funny. Um, it, it, it makes it for a fun situation. And when we write, we just write, and it's so inspiring because everybody has ideas and it just keeps flowing, you know? And then you're just trying to like sort through the madness of ideas on what's going to be the best idea. So, that that would be the typical part. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've heard the saying over the years, you know, that a band is like family. But in your band, there's family, right? 
Yeah. And this dynamic fascinates me. And one of the reasons why is I'm a fan of a band from New Zealand called Like a Storm. I don't know whether you know them. Um, I've heard of them, yes. They're a four-piece band with three brothers, right? Wow. And one of the things I always want to know is if you're the other guy that's not the brother, at times that has to be awkward, especially now in a three-piece because he's in a band with two twin brothers and when it comes to decide something, that I don't know how to phrase this properly, but... That can probably lead to difficulties at times. It can be a little bit uncomfortable because he doesn't want sure. to take... You understand what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, you know, in the back of the mind, I'm sure they're thinking like, well, they're always going to side together. Exactly, and, uh, exactly. But, um, I mean, it's very opposite with us. Um, I mean, we're, we're very diplomatic with each other and we want... Uh, you know, everyone's input. You know, I, I think the most disagreements would come in is between my brother and I. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's brotherly love for you. twins, we're, we're opposite of each other. I mean, we are always on the same page. Yeah. And, you know, musically, all three of us are always on the same page, but there could be different reasons between my brother and I, you know. So if we wore it out, we wore it out. William could be the guy be like, wait, hold on a second, guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very healthy but positive dynamic, so. Yeah, yeah. I just, I definitely wanted to get into that with you because <laughs> it's kind of unusual, especially with a three-piece. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, do, you have any other sure. bro- do you have any other brothers or sisters that play, play music? Uh, I have two older brothers. They don't play music, but they're huge music fans and have such a large collection of music. So that's where I... Uh, I hear all, you know, a lot of my music as I, you know, hanging out with them and hearing stuff. So, and that's always been something as a kid, you know, my older brother would be bringing home like Testament records and be like, check this out, man, you know, or Sepultura and check this one out, you know, so I, they, they were always an influence, you know, and even my parents, you know, when we were very little, you know, Elvis and Beatles, so or you know listen to a lot of r&b so it, it was awesome man i to be influenced by such a variety of styles hmm. um see years later come full circle and uh translate into what we write even though what we're doing is heavy metal there's elements of that in there to a degree that you really wouldn't realize um yeah that we had that you know yeah, so it's very so, cool. So name 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 a band or bands that you love that your brother oh, can't man. stand. Oh God! Is there a lot That's of them, impossible. or do you, all, do you love the same music? We do a lot of uh, love a lot of same music. Um, Man, that's, that's such a tough question. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're talking decades of music that yeah. inspired my brother and I. You know, we used to listen to records all the time as kids. You know, whether it was Kiss or, like I said, uh, Beatles, we would wear out the vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't even play the record anymore. Wow. Um, I, I would definitely have to say one of the most recent influences, which was interesting, um, one, they have a lot of rock players, but uh, country music, there's some country out there that's a lot of rock players in there, so you can really listen to what they're doing. I mean, if you listen to, like, Brad Paisley, I mean, that dude shreds on the guitar. 
I mean, it's it's unbelievable how clean his chops are, you know. And then or Zach Brown band, you know, or Keith Urban. I mean, these are rock guys, and they write great songs, um, even though they have these country roots in them. So, uh, you know, we try to listen to what not what we play. And when, especially in the writing process, I'll actually not listen to any music, uh, just so that way I know that what we're writing is coming from us and not, you know, hey, that riff sounds familiar type of thing. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, generally, writing process, I stop listening to anything, so nothing's in my mind or in the back of my head. That's um, not that's not easy to do. No, it's very difficult, but it's something over the years I've grown to do. But I can still hear the inspirations and influence of artists I've listened to through the years. Did you ever start writing a song and then stop and again, oh, I already did this? Yeah, all the time. That's what <laughs> makes that, that that's that's the hardest part about writing an album. Um, uh, yeah, you could be like, man, I'm just not jiving with this idea. Like it's cool, but I'm just not. It's not moving me. You know, I'll scrap it. You know, and that might drive my brother nuts. You know, he'll be like, why? It's good. I'll be like, eh, no, man, I'm starting over. Run the click. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> For this second album, was there anything left over from the debut or do you just start with a new slate? Uh, I mean, there's ideas sitting around that we didn't complete because we just couldn't find the right moments to complete it. So we just put it on the sidelines and then just started fresh on another tune. So there's probably stuff that we'll revisit later and maybe it's going to click because we're going to be fresh with writing in the near future. Uh, but most of the time it's going to be a clean slate. It, it's good to take a break from writing just because you're going to come back with a new perspective. And it's something I learned from my guitar instructors. You know, they always say like, it's good to take a break from writing. So you come back with a fresh perspective or uh, a different take on how you're going to do things where if you just keep hammering back to back you can start getting really stagnant in your writing and start regurgitating your ideas and that is not something I, we want to do you know we always want to keep every album a new level of uh, freshness mm. so tell me the song on the album or songs that William had a huge input on stylistically oh. Every single one of them. Every one of them. <laughs> Every single one of them. Um, I mean, the idea is what, what his uh, rock vocal capability and his vocal range really opened up the palette for us to do uh, things that we normally haven't been able to do and, and his aggressive moments and how he's able to transition um, just from the background of music that he grew up listening to uh, so it allowed us to be rock oriented and very melodic, but if we wanted to get really intricate um, in parts of the songs, he was capable to pick up on that and actually ride on top of that, which was awesome. That really leveled a lot of things up. Uh, for example, in, on the opening track, uh, the album Cut the News, we get to the bridge of the song where it just starts grinding. He was able to pick up and bounce off of that and really create this hop feel along with what my brother and I are doing and then bring it right back to this big, beautiful, melodic chorus. Mm. So, yeah. 
the attention, you know, always pushing us. She was always pushing us, and we were always pushing each other to level up. Do you think that this was a direction you wanted to go in anyway, or do you think having William join the band made you go in that direction? I would say it's a combination of both. I mean, I think all three of us were pissed (laughs) internally (laughs) and had a lot of aggression to let out, uh, even though we didn't know what we were going to write. But then at the same time, Will's influences on music did uh, inspire us to bring that out further than we've ever done. So, yeah. For sure. Mm. <laughs> the other thing I noticed about the band, and I'm relatively new to you guys, um, you've no bass player. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to hear my shameless plug? <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, on, on how we do this? Yeah. Uh, so, um, back in the day, I would have to bring out enough equipment for a five-piece band and all these cables and split to a bass rig and somehow get get it to translate over so you hear these bass frequencies uh we're in very low tunings and i have a custom seven string les paul but the setup and takedown would take forever and my brother uh, and i wanted to figure out how we could downsize but achieve the same production value of translating this idea out and uh picked up this unit by a company called Fractal. Uh, it's their newest model, the XFX3, and you could digitally design your amp rigs. Now, if you're an electrical engineer, you can really nerd out and like custom build, change your taper pots, your screen resistors, transformers, all the stuff digitally. And months it took me to design the rig, and I can split to a stereo guitar rig and have my guitar transposed into a bass and I have a separate output for that. So uh, we were capable of playing bass and guitar at the same time in one unit instead of bringing all this gear out. Focus! And uh, when we did the second album, that's how we actually recorded it with this unit. So the way you're hearing it is the way we do it live. Wow. And, you know, making sure that what we wrote, you know, whether it was two ideas or one idea, if there was two separate ideas, how to meld it together and be able to play both and have it through this unit. And this three-piece idea came back on our first album when we first started recording with uh, Carmine Apiece as our executive producer. And, you know, we didn't have a bass player. And we said to him, hey, we don't have a bass player. We're going to have to find a guy still. And he was like, this stuff sounds so huge. He's like, where are you going to put the bass? Especially in the tuning or in this bass territory. And, uh, and just, you know, we would always joke with him. You sure? What about this next song? And he'd be like, you're transposing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you guys are going to figure it out. And we did. And uh, now... You know, it's something that developed further, but it was something that Carmine picked up about my brother and I, you know, that we didn't realize, and uh, he brought it to our attention. He's like, well, when you guys were kids, you always jam together, and you play your favorite songs, and you probably try to make it sound as big as how it sounded on the CD, and we're like, yeah, how'd you know? He's like, I can tell. It's translated into your sound. 
so that was something that carried through that we never realized and it took him to, to actually bring it to our attention so that all further has developed um, since then why do you think a lot of other bands haven't done what you do uh, I'm sorry you repeat that why do you think a lot of other bands haven't done it the way you do it how they didn't do it I don't know um, I, you know, I've had some bands be really pissed off at me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically bass players. Yeah. I mean, there was a show we did in New York where a bass player came up to me and he was just not happy. He was like, it's not cool what you're doing, man. You know, you're taking away what our role is. And I'm like, I'm really not. Um, it just works for what we're doing. There, I you know, always believe there is a functionality of what a bass player can bring to the table. Um, and I have jammed in bands with bass players. So with that understanding, you know, I had to bring that knowledge in to the current project and try to figure out how do I create that same type of feel that they would bring to the table. Um, you know, so... <sighs> To all the bass players out there, no, I'm not taking away your gig. <laughs> it's just working. It's just working for what we're doing, you know. And you know, not saying we wouldn't be open to another player down the road or in the future if we wanted to expand the group. Um, but right now, everything is working with us three, and it's you know, as they say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm. There's obviously the aesthetic thing. If I go to see you guys live, I'm like, someone's missing. Yeah, you know. and we get that, yeah, and a lot of people ask me, how are you doing that? Well, I'm using this fractal unit, and you'll kind of see me pedal dancing quite a bit on stage, so I have to pick and choose my battles of when I can run around like a maniac and when I'm stuck to this thing, because I'm also doing backing vocals with William, so I have to, you know, hit these presets that I've created for each song to achieve what we do and do back in vocals. So sometimes I'm kind of planted in a spot. Wow. But, yeah. So it, it, it's tricky. <laughs> I, I don't envy your job. Yeah, I mean, I'm still looking for the guy who wants to push the buttons for me on the stage, you know. Hey, man, hit the next patch. <laughs> mm. the, the, the other thing that limits you, and you can tell me if I'm way off base here, it's very hard to jam. Because... You know, you've no bass player. You, you, you understand what I'm trying to ask you? That you've got. I set, think so. You've got certain things set that you have to do, that you can't just decide in the moment. Let's take the song here, or can you? Uh, we definitely can. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we'll obviously have to rehearse it out to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Um, that, hey, we're going to extend this. I mean, we have a show coming up in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, on quite a few songs, we're extending sections that we're jamming on out that isn't done on the album. Okay, um, nice. So that, yeah, you know, and then incorporating the show into the songs. So we're not just playing the songs. I mean, it depends on the length of your set list. I mean, a lot of times when you're, oh, oh you know, in an opening slot, they might give you like 20 minutes or 30 minutes and you kind of just have to like bang out the songs and just start people's hairs, smack them across their heads, you know, and then make them sit down afterwards and soak up what just happened. But, you know, when you're doing like an hour, an hour and a half sets, 
you're going to start extending your songs and really building a show around it so you can you know bring the crowd more into uh the participation of the song mm. so that's something that's actually we're going to be doing coming up to this next gig that we're looking forward to that you know anyone who's seen us already a few times are going to be like wow that they didn't do that before that's cool mm. so i want to talk a little bit about carmine yeah um, i've met him and i've interviewed him a bunch of times yeah he's um, great he's a great guy but mm-hmm. he's worked on both records right yeah. So what yeah. did he what did he bring to the table that was different on this one than the first one? Uh definitely pushed us further, that's for sure. Um I mean the first album it was just soaking up that you were you had Carmine in the same room and uh <laughs> you had that idea in your head like this guy's played with the greatest players in the world don't suck. <laughs> so you had that kind of worry in the back of your head and <laughs> You know, eventually you would get past that when you were working and then you were just in full work mode. And then taking that knowledge that he brought to the table with uh, arrangement and key changes and really focusing on the hooks of the songs um, and the idea of, you know, hey, did you play that part before? Yeah, okay, well, do something a little bit different on the next time around. You know, he would bring all that to the table. And that's something we went into with writing, always going like, what would Carmine say here? <laughs> you know, so that way we can level ourselves up. So when he gave his input, he would always take it even a step further. And, and what she did, you know, uh, there were, there were, I would say our first few songs, he was like, start over. <laughs> wow. And we had to start over. Yeah. And, you know, eventually we, we hit it on the head and he was like, that's it right there now match or beat that song with every song afterwards so he set a high bar for us and uh that was the attitude we took on in and there was moments throughout the album he's like hey did you do that part anywhere else in the song we'd be like well no just the one why not that's a great part bring it back so we would have to like rearrange the song again and then retrack it to uh, get it that right so he, he would as soon as you think you're onto his game of like what he knows, he will pull a 180 on you, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and then he'll be like, and then he's even made a comment. Oh, you thought you you, you figured me out, huh? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I kind of thought I did. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, nope. <laughs> so, and I'm sure your I'm I'm sure your brother Andy would have sat down with him and talked drumming for hours and hours and hours oh my god yeah i mean at first you know my brother was extremely nervous he's like god it's carmine peace you know yeah, yeah, yeah. greatest drummer you know rock legend you know and you know he would tell my brother never do the what was his quote never play the the first page out of my book <laughs> and my brother's just like oh my god this is gonna be crazy and uh i remember a moment in the studio where you know, I think I went to go and get a coffee or something. I come on back, and and uh, they're both like drumming on a, <laughs> a drum set in the contr- in the live room, and I'm sitting in the control room, like, what, what happened? <laughs> like, you guys are jamming. We're we're not working on an album anymore here, <laughs> and they're trading licks. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Have you a dream come true for your brother? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he sent 
Carmine sent me through Whirlpool sharing Led Zeppelin stories with me. I'm like, uh, I need to go outside, get some air. <laughs> what for? I'm like, you're blowing my mind right now, man. Um, <laughs> I'm freaking out. Have you, have you read Carmine's book? Uh, stick it yeah my brother has my brother bought it and he read it i, I haven't had a chance to read I, it yet i inter- I interviewed Vinny a couple of years ago his brother and the bo- <laughs> Vinny said yeah i've read it and he said it's filthy <laughs> yeah it, it is yeah and man get those two guys in a room <laughs> oh yeah and it's it's an italian ball busting session it's fantastic <laughs> so, so what was the most difficult song to do for this record there's always one that's uh, really hard god one to write or what to play i would say all of them are extremely difficult to play um my brother and i spent months trying to relearn what we wrote because when we were writing it you're in the moment you come up with the idea the tape's already rolling as they say and you capture it and you moved on and by the time you were done with that song, you moved on to the next song, and you, you didn't really go back and listen to the other one, or you didn't bother to make notes of what the hell you were playing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, when we finished the album, my brother and I went back in, and we were, you know, before William came on in, um, we needed to rehash out what the hell we wrote. And we had to go back and, like, isolate the tracks and be like, what the hell did we play? Like, there's got to be a, uh, a moment of why what we did. It makes sense, for sure. But what the hell was I doing? <laughs> and it's something where uh, you, you kind of wish you wrote it down. Um, you know, when you step away for it for a while, it's you don't remember any of it. So the difficult part was relearning what we wrote. And that took quite a bit of time. Um yeah, so every single one of them. There, there's so many intricate details in the writing uh, that's easily overlooked. Okay. And, you know, whether it's scale work or the arrangements, um, key changes, you know, you're like, oh, wait, we did a change here. Yeah, so every single one of them. <laughs> this was one of the most difficult albums we, we've written so far and to learn it. I mean, my brother and I were just rehearsing last night and I'm like, Okay, we've been playing this song for uh, for quite a while, but now I'm not sure what I'm playing at this moment. I need to go back and make sure I'm playing the right notes. <laughs> wow. So I still have to go back and refresh myself on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Now I I'm I'm not I'm not a musician, but I think one of the things you're saying there is when you're listening back to your old stuff and trying to remember when you wrote it, you're trying yeah. to get the headspace as well as what you actually played. <laughs> you were feeling yeah. at the time what room you were in who you were with yeah there's, there's, there's all that that you need to bring all that in and then say yeah. yeah if I can get that environment this is why I played this 100% um, I mean uh, you know there was a, a song where leading up into a chorus I'm sitting there trying to figure out in my head like I remember playing it someone like this but it's not this. What was it? And eventually I had to sit down and like try to find every single note I was playing and realize it was nowhere near even close to what I thought I remembered playing. Because when we were writing it, I've had like so many different ideas of where I could go for the part that I remember one particular part that wasn't even what I actually wrote for the album. 
Mm. <laughs> it was a completely different idea that was never used, but almost in the same vibe or context of where it was going to become. So, yeah, it, 100% right. So you have to get back into that headspace of like, what was I feeling at this moment? Like, okay, where, what was it that I did and why did I do it this way? And then once you figure it out, you're like, ah, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> now that makes sense why I did it this way. Did Karma never say to you, you have too many ideas in the song? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's told us to scale it back quite a few times um, because it was uh, just too much. And, you know, it turned out he was right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we were like, okay, we, we got to scale it back. Um I would have to say there was a track where uh, we needed to do a key change. And he was like, change the key for this chorus. And we're like, what, really? He's like, do it. And uh, okay, uh, we did it. We were always open to anything, you know. We we never had any, um, what they call, uh, tension. It was always like, all ideas are on the table, let's try it. And... Uh, he was right. The key change lifted the song to a whole different level. And now you listen to it and you're like, man, like he called that one fucking right on, right on the money. Yeah. So it wasn't <laughs> Sorry, difficult. I, I, I swore right there. I'm no, not sure if no, I was supposed I'm to. I'm Irish. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it wasn't difficult in the beginning with Carmine to take criticism from him. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, when we first started working with him, one of my uh, good friends and a guy I used to work for uh, at a music store, you know, told me, he's like, man, you're working with Carmine. Shut up and listen to what he has to say. He means well, and he's going to do good by you guys. And, uh, you know, that was the attitude we took with it, you know. And, you know, we're, we're not assholes to begin with. You know, we're a goofy bunch of fun dudes that want to better ourselves. So taking the criticism, you know, if you didn't take the criticism, you're crazy. Because, I mean, this guy's been part of so many hit songs that it's like you're going to want to embrace and take in the knowledge he has. Mm. So we, we were all about it. You know, it's like if he's saying something isn't right, he's hearing it. You know, it's easy for us to get lost in what we're writing because you're writing it um, and you can get numb to it and or you get too used to an idea. So he would either, uh, you know, if there's something you missed, he would bring you back and be like, hey, you missed something right there. Check that out. Work off of that. Or if you had everything in order, but something wasn't jiving right, he was like, hey, address that section right there. You know, okay. and you know, so it, it's helpful to have an outside ear. And Carmine, I mean, come on, the guy <laughs> all the way from Vanilla Fudge, Back Boga Peace, Rod Stewart, Ozzy, Cactus, Kiko, the list goes on and on and on. Who this guy's collaborated with? Um, so it's like when you're warming you're up, that all in. when you're warming up with Carmine in the studio, did you ever jam on any of the songs that he played on? <laughs> Uh, no. Um, I think a lot of times we got in and got right to work because okay. we were on such a time schedule that you just had to get in there, 
you know, might, you might bullshit for a few minutes and talk, and then it was like, let's get to work. Okay. Um, and, and then, you know, and that would be like at 8 in the morning. Next thing you know, it's 2.30 in the morning. And you're just <laughs> going, going, and going. So you never really had a chance. I mean, there, there are times where my brother and I joked around thinking like, hey, man, we should get a poster of him on the uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy video made <laughs> and like put it up on the wall and write Do You Think I'm Sexy on it and see if he notices, you know, but we never got a chance to goof around like that. You know, it, it was, you know, you knew how valuable having him around was and the time that we had together. So you really wanted to utilize every minute that you had. Yeah. Um, I just yeah. want to finish up by asking you about mm-hmm. shows you did with Metal Allegiance. When was that? That was, I think, 2017. Okay. Um, um, if I can remember. Right. Now, you mentioned Testament there early in the interview. Yeah. Was Chuck yeah. singing with Metal Allegiance then, or was it Mark from Death Angel? In, uh, both of them. Okay. Uh, it was... Yeah, and uh, Alex Skolnick, who was another inspiration for me as a guitar player. So, and Bumblefoot was also on there. Um, Mike Portnoy was also uh, Mike Portnoy, and uh, and then uh, I think Chris Jericho of Fozzy even showed on up for uh, part of that tour, um, which was awesome. So, I mean, like you're talking. <laughs> You know, these are as a super group yeah. <laughs> going on here, and the nicest guys ever. They they made the tour so fun, and to watch them every single night was, was unbelievable. Well, I think I think with a band like that, they all have their day jobs with other bands, right? That that's yeah. that. In a lot of ways, there's the business aspect to Metal Allegiance, but there's a lot of fun involved in it too. That. You know, it's all the roots music for them when it comes to metal, and they're going to get together and just write traditional heavy metal, and it's it's something they can jump in and out of when time allows. So it's maybe a little yeah. bit more loose the way it's 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 done. I would say. I mean, it, it seems like the, there's uh, it is pretty open. You know, I, I gotta say, I mean, there was a, a time where metal, if you weren't in a certain way, you were you know, ostracized about it. Whereas the years went, I think people are more open to incorporating different styles into it. Um, you know, the testament comes from, you know, in, in the nineties where metal was like done in a certain way and you have to pioneer it in your own way off of that, you know, and, and uh, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like, if you didn't do it right, <laughs> you were pretty much cut off. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, and they would play all sorts of stuff on, on that tour. It was awesome. I mean, mm. they would do cover songs, you know, some of their originals. It was very cool. Did you get a chance to sit down a lot with Alex Skolnick? No, I, I, I would say a couple of times, and we were just talking all sorts of music. Uh, I wish I had more time with him. Um, the one guy I got to sit down with and just talk uh, more in depth about the guitar was actually uh, Bumblefoot, uh, who's a, an amazing guitar player, oh, plays at Double Neck. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he, he's got to be an extraterrestrial because he does things that are, <laughs> I would say, most humans can't do. <laughs> he's, um, um, you know, he's kinda, in yeah. a lot of ways, I think, you know, he was in Guns N' Roses and people know his name, but... 
I think in a yeah. lot of ways he's underrated and I think what's brought him to prominence in the last couple of years is doing Sons of Apollo with, with yeah. Mike Portnoy, Billy Sheen and Jeff Scott Soto and Derek Sherinian. Yeah. Because I saw yeah. him live with them and I've seen yeah. Billy and Mike and all these guys at all their different bands and with Bumblefoot it was like, holy shit. And he's, he's actually a really good singer as well. He is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he went with Asia, didn't he? He did, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy is so talented, but the most humble guy you'll meet. And he just loves to talk music. And, you know, if you get a chance to just try to get any technical aspects out of him on what he does on the guitar, I mean, that's priceless knowledge. I mean, the guy is just, he makes it look so effortless. So... Yeah, I definitely underrated, but a brilliant player. And yeah. I, I follow him on the media socials, as I call it, and he, he does a lot of guitar stuff, and I enjoy watching it. It's like, man, how are you doing that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> are you still one of these guys that you practice a lot, you have to pick up a guitar every day, or you feel you don't feel yourself? Are you, are you that sort of a guy? I feel like that a lot of times. I feel like oh, I could do this better or I could work on this uh, technical aspect much more. Um, you know, I try to pick up master classes to learn different techniques, things that might open my eyes and my technical abilities that I wasn't able to do before, which, matter of fact, I'm in the middle of doing right now to, uh, you know, learn a different aspect and step up my game. Okay. And, uh, you know, um, I'm one of those guys where I OCD on everything. So like, I'll keep on trying to hammer away at it until I get it right. And I'm never satisfied okay. <laughs> with myself. And I always want to do it better and better and better. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would have to say if, if I thought I had it all, or as my guitar teacher said, as soon as you think you've mastered it, put down the guitar because you haven't. Um, Guitar is something that you're always learning, even if you are an incredible player um, and can do so many technical aspects. There's always something new you're you're searching and reaching out for, or, or as I call, you want to be that Jedi Knight on the guitar. So you're 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 always learning, and that's the the, the love and fun and beauty of playing instruments is learning something new and then how you incorporate that into your writing and or whatever you're doing with it yeah i think that goes with the songwriting as well because yeah you know you hear the stories about this guy he can he can play anything can't write a song yeah well. right exactly <laughs> and you know and, and for me i mean i i've always been more of a songwriter than really a technical being in a three-piece and then a four-piece at one time and being the only guitar player is I was uh, pretty much thrown into the position of, all right, man, you got to step up your shit. <laughs> and uh, it, it put me in that position to do it and okay. continue to do it. Um, you know, uh, I the technical is something that you can work on always and it's something that should always be worked on and something I always try to work on the hardest thing that you can't really just get a book and do is writing songs. That's something that requires life experience and, uh, you know, the love of writing songs and trying to innovate your own style of writing and, and taking that further. You know, that's, mm. 
you know, as, as one producer told me a long time ago when I was younger, he was like, it's all great, but come back to me when you've, you've lived rock and roll and let me see what songs you write. So he was right. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're thrown into the shit of it, um, you know, and the hardships, it does, uh, transform you and transform what you write. And that's, that's something to this day that I will hold on to deeply and keep pushing myself as a songwriter. Yeah. And, and, and that could be all styles of music. Cause I just, even though I do heavy metal, you know, on a side, I might have other styles of songs that I write. Or if I, you know, that, that, that's just something that you grow as you go. Is and it, you just can't learn it. You yeah. just got to live it. I'll finish up on this. Is it difficult to deal with the realities and how tough the music business is from your it and is. keep it separate from your songwriting because you want the songwriting to be pure, but then yeah. you're dealing with all this other bullshit in, in the in the background. Is, is it easy to separate that for you? Sometimes, um, I mean, it's there are moments where you're frustrated and you're dealing with a lot of bullshit in the business and you're in the studio and you're trying to write and your head's not clear yeah. and you need a clear head uh, to really dive into what the song is. is it, you really need to vibe out the song and have that move you to continue writing that song. When your head's clouded with all the noise uh, of the industry, it, it makes it difficult. So I, it, it is hard to separate. Um, I, there's no way I can say that it's easy to do. I mean, you, you could start off your day with just bullshit of news and it's like great i have to go to studio and write like <laughs> yeah I, I feel like i want to hit a punching bag right now <laughs> <laughs> so, so 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 mikey tell me what, what's next for chains over razors just hit the road and tour 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 that, that's what we want to do i mean that that's where we we shine um i mean Live has always been where we bring the attitude on the stage, and then when we're off the stage, we're going to probably party your heads off and buy you shots. Um, but to experience us live and to see how we do it, that's really where you're going to see that magic take place of what we wrote. And uh, we want to play as many shows as possible very soon. Uh, we, you know, we got a show coming up, but we have a bunch more shows in the works and we want to continue on, you know, solid throughout even next year and just keep hitting it hard and, you know, sharing what we do with uh, the people who have never seen us and the people who have seen us to, to experience it again. Have um, you, that's um, really where we're at right now. Have you played much outside the U.S.? Uh, no, uh, mainly it's been the U.S. Okay. Um, I think we, we might have might have done something Canada, but that was not with this project. So mainly we're trying to keep it here right now. We, we would love to go to Europe and play out there. Uh, if it's possible, you know, and the economics of uh, traveling right now alone and the way gas is going and COVID still running rampant, um, are the challenges we have to work around. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of markets that were being played on on the radio that, you know, we want to hit and the positive feedback that we're getting. So our goal is really to try to, you know, build out here in our own backyards. 
Yeah, so do you, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with the band and buy the record? Sure. I mean, you could even go to our main website, chainsoverrazors.com, and it has all our social media links. You know, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram. You could search us and you could find us and hit us up. We we will respond to you. We are the jackasses that uh, <laughs> are actually on the site. So <laughs> so so if you you know you want to write something cool and funny or whatever, we'll respond back with something cool and funny. Okay. Uh, yeah. So just look us up, Chains Over Razors, on any of those sites, and nice. you know, even direct message us. We'll write back to you. We respond quick. Nice. Well, Mikey, it's been a pleasure. I really do like the uh, record. Ah, oh, thank you so much. I I had a blast being on your show, Richie. Yeah, and if you ever get up my way in Boston, I'll I'll hit you up and I'll get back to say hello to you. That is very possible, and I'll put a shot of Jameson right out of your doorstep. <laughs> I'll bring the Guinness. <laughs> oh man, perfect. All right, well, have a good rest of the day. Take care of yourself. All right, you too, Richie. Right. Thank you. Bye. See, I wasn't kidding about the birds. Even right to the end, it's like they wanted to get one last word in on the interview. But there you go. Richie's talk with Mikey V of Chains Over Razors. And as I said before, you want to check that out. Go up to decoentertainment.com, chains-over-razors. And you can, uh, like I said, you can head up there, you can get the bundle, you can get the CD, you can check out what they've got going as far as YouTube, all of that good stuff. And if you're digging it, you want to go back to the original first album, then you will be looking for an album called Crown the Villain, which as I said, has got a really awesome cover to it. Reminds me of some great old school metal covers. And if you do want to go the YouTube route, then they've got a couple of things up there. So off the new album, they have one called Behind These Eyes. And then from the prior one, they have one that's the promo video for Crown the Villain. Anyways, that is going to do it for this week. I'm thinking uh, next one coming up is probably going to be part two of our Maiden discussion. That's right, finally getting around to part two. And uh, in that one, of course, we're doing the, the three, three, and three. So continuing along, we will be talking about the uh, peace of mind as well as uh, Power Slave and Somewhere in Time. So I think next up will be a mega shitload of Maiden discussion. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here over at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next time, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.